And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. If you thought that this was going to be a podcast talking all about Brighton, and you've not been paying attention because, my goodness, so much has happened since the final whistle blew at Old Trafford on Sunday that I don't even know if we're going to be able to fit in just that bit in this podcast. Incredible. Uh, we've got Andy Mitten with us. We've got Laurie Whitwell with us. We're going to be two a week now on Talk of the Devils, so Carl will be with us again uh, on Thursday's edition. So let's get into it. We'll start with Brighton. We'll come on to Frankie de Jong. We'll come on to... Other names that have got eyebrows being raised everywhere, it seems. Um, and just the whole sort of situation around the club after that first sight of Eric Ten Hag's competitive or otherwise Manchester United team. Laurie, you were there. Reflections on yesterday, please. Yep. Um, it was extremely disappointing. Um, in my piece this morning, I, I sort of said how there was actually a sense of optimism as you got to Old Trafford. You could sense in the stands, people were excited. It was football back properly. There was sunshine in Manchester, which we obviously need to mention because Frankie de Jong's listening and he's wondering, is Manchester worthwhile coming to? Telling you it's still Beautiful sunshine today outside. as well. Exactly. Um, yep. As it is every day of the year. Um, and then the football started. Listen, it was actually quite fun. You know, the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, you could see what they were trying to do with the false nine. You know, Ericsson was kind of dropping a bit, trying to put balls in behind. Scott McTominay, Bruno Fernandes running on beyond. Um, Bruno Fernandes missed that chance and then Brighton grew in confidence and they scored two really well-worked goals. And they were just the better team, weren't they? They, they knew their roles. Um, Graham Potter's got them very well coached. The fact that they've lost two of their best players and he's reorganised and he's still got them playing this way is a real sign of a team and a club that's functioning all on the same page. United had a bit of a rallying, um, you know, sort of second half, but it, it wasn't enough. You know, it was a kind of scruffy goal. It wasn't like they were creating chances at will. Marcus Rashford should have scored a couple, certainly one, um, you know, when he was squared by Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, the big talking point was the fact that Ronaldo was left on the bench to begin with um, and we can perhaps discuss that a little bit more, but... You know, you get to the final whistle, booze at the final whistle, booze at half-time, booze when Brighton went 2-0 up. You know, the, the kind of optimism that I spoke about earlier, yeah, turned to despondency. Yeah, I said in my pre-match report so for the Premier League that it was optimism, not confidence, that I could feel from Manchester United fans and I could feel inside the stadium before the game. And it felt like for the players and the fans inside that stadium, as soon as that first goal went in for Brighton, it just felt like last season. It was almost like, oh, here we go again. You know, the same sort of brittle confidence in the players and the system and the fans' reaction and the way that the team were playing and so on, it just seemed to resurface instantly. I asked Diogo Delo about that in our interview after the game and he did his best to sort of frame it as a new start and a new moment for the club. But I don't know what you thought, Andy, watching it, but it just felt like the same old problems in a sense, really, despite the change in management, despite the time that had passed. I don't know why you're, you're worried. Manchester City lost their first game of last season and ended up winning the league. We should all cheer up a bit. I wish I could be that <laughs> optimistic. Uh, I agree with both of what you've said. Um, 
absolute optimism. We had the lads outside the ground selling the new United We Stand. Everyone was like, this is great. The sun was shining. That optimism was built on a good pre-season. Not a perfect pre-season, but a good pre-season. And Laurie and I were at all of those matches. We had our sources telling us pretty positive things in the main. And then Brighton were a very good team. They came to Old Trafford and bang, the mood just completely pops. I was talking to a very uh, high-level person in football during the game and he messaged me and said, Brighton's have killed Ten Hag's overload centrally. Uh, you can get away with it in Holland. It's different gravy in the Premier League. Um, it's really poor. You, you, Potter's tactical adaptations have completely won the match here for Brighton. Now, this is someone who gets paid at a high level to do this. I found it quite interesting. United managed to get on the outside of Brighton's midfield free in the start of the first half. They pinned back the win backs. They pushed Brighton back to a flat back five and managed to get the low, especially into a good position, and created an overload centrally. When Potter adjusted, Ten Hag did not manage to find other solutions. That meant United's press was really, really poor. Maguire and Martinez didn't squeeze the line up. McTominay and Fred were in poor positions. There were big distances between the units when United and Brighton broke the first chain of United's pressure. And I would bow to the wisdom of that person because I know what that person's job is. And it was pretty uncomfortable to watch. Like, oh, no, oh, no. And we can pick out individual moments. But the, the Manchester United have lost the opening game of the season at home to a Brighton side. We've never won at Old Trafford. Got, we have to credit Brighton. They've got a really good manager. They've got a really good squad. I looked at the bench yesterday and thought, there's top players on that bench. Even though they've lost two of their best players. And they proved it. Danny Welbeck, Manchester lad, United fan. Fantastic. He was the only reason I, I smiled after the game yesterday because I said to him, how did it feel to be part of the first Brighton team to win at Old Trafford? And he just grinned at me and said, I've won at Old Trafford loads, mate. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you have. Good answer. <laughs> For and against United, unfortunately now. In terms of what you were describing there, Andy, Graham Potter knows this team, his team better, doesn't he? He, he knows the players better. You said about them losing two of their best players. Well, Kukurea and, and Basuma were the only changes from the side that started the 4-0 win. Uh, against United for Brighton at the end of last season. And I don't suppose it's any surprise that he can make tweaks and changes that Eric Ten Hag maybe can't with his team yet, Laurie. He's going to need time to work these things out. He still wants to add to his squad, which we'll come on to, of course, as well. He had the problem of losing Anthony Martial so close to the start of the season. I mean, the whole false nine system for United, I think they only used in pre-season for moments of their behind-closed-door game uh, against Wrexham. It wasn't something that we saw that much at all, really, in, in the matches that we could we could see. So I guess it was unfamiliar for the players to start the year like that. And it, there was extenuating circumstances for that, of course. Yeah, I asked Tanag afterwards uh, if he'd you know, practised it. And he said, yes, we have, obviously. Um, Ericsson chosen as that you know one up top rather than Bruno Fernandes, rather than Marcus Rashford or, or Anthony Langer, because um, he wanted to keep Rashford, Fernandes, Sancho in those three positions behind the front line that they'd done well in um, in pre-season. Clearly, the difference there was they had Anthony Marshall up front to sort of bounce off and interchange with. He was, you know, very uh, integral to a lot of the goals they scored. Um, you know, I would say though that you know to have Anthony Marshall was one of the players that United looked at selling. You know, at the end of last season, you know they let him go out on loan to Sevilla. So now for him to be out of the team injured and it, to cause this kind of 
situation, is that not a lack of foresight? I mean, I know, again, you had Cristiano Ronaldo, but that, that situation perhaps could have been predicted. Can you flip that and say this is Ten Hag working it out with his own eyes, though, which potentially is a positive? Well, in terms of how to fix a difficult situation? Well, in terms of, of looking at Anthony Martial, a player that the club seem like they wanted to okay. sell and then actually making him quite an important part of his team. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, for sure. And you have to back the manager. And, and certainly they have, um, in the signings that they've made, You know, clearly United are going with what the manager wants. You know, that, that his influence is, is clear there. Um, I suppose, though, you know, he's seen Anthony Martial for a certain period of time at Manchester United. There's been previous managers that have had him for much longer. So, And there's been people at the club that have also been there. So they could also counsel and say, OK, he's looking really good right now and he was on pre-season tour. But equally, you know, he has had some muscle problems, um, injuries in, in past seasons. He's not been a consistent starter for a couple of years yet. So um, so that, I think, has to be weighed into it. Clearly, you want Tenag to be the guy that's the, the kind of leading football brain at, at Manchester United. Um but I just sort of thought that it, it, it was an indictment of where United are at and we'll obviously get on to the centre-forward targets that perhaps they're looking at now bringing in low-cost, budget, kind of emergency situation. It's all the words that you hope you don't Two have to... Two words for it. <laughs> uh, panic buy. Um it's all the words that you don't want to have to associate with a club that is, you know, trying to, you know, start a new era with a new manager. Um, you know, we had this with Odio Nagalo, um, you know, the last player that United signed who'd, who'd been in China. Um, it, it feels like, you know, is, is there not another option? Was there not stuff that you kind of had planned? And, and again, you look at Benjamin Sesco, there's obviously talks for him, um, you know, going on and he's a young, you know, promising striker. Um, is he ready to do it right now? That's another question mark, I suppose. But yeah, the, the, the false nine was Eric Ten Hag's idea. Um, I don't think it worked, not not with Ericsson, you know, as, as that one up top. He was much better when he dropped deep and could punch the passes into the forward line. And I think that's where we'll see him predominantly as the season goes on. Yeah, Ericsson looked good, actually, didn't he? A lot deeper in pulling the strings. He reminded me a bit of like a sort of Paul Scholes type when he dropped back later on in his, his career because he was trying to control the match. It's been something that we've not really done a great deal of United in recent times because they've not had that player who, who's got that sense of tempo, the metronome or whatever sort of phrase, buzzword you want to use for it. Andy, what did you think of midfield? It seemed like you described before, whoever was messaging you, just didn't quite work for United, did it really? My thoughts were yesterday morning, I put an interview out with Fred, which was very positive. And when he started giving the ball away, I thought, oh no. In his own box after about five minutes as well, that, by that, the way. <laughs> that's just as a journalist, you know, you, you you can't predict the future, but he'd had a good pre-season, it was optimistic. I, I, my overriding thought was, I can see why Eric Ten Hag wants Frankie de Jong, because those central midfielders, they take too many touches. And at his best, Paul Pogba had the quick feet to release the ball quickly, but we didn't see him at his best often enough. Further forward, I was cursing, cursing Bruno Fernandes when he didn't put that early chance in. You've got to, you've got to be scoring chances like that. I'm sorry. Uh, Ericsson, probably the best of a, a bad bunch, more effective when he moved back. But if you would have said a few months ago Manchester United would be starting the opening day of the season with Christian Eriksen as the most forward player, you would have been laughed at. Reminding me years ago, United played Birmingham in the opening game at Old Trafford and put a young striker on who went to Tottenham and it was just like, here's your chance, prove it, and it didn't work out. And sometimes you see those early first-day mistakes. Um, the, 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 the scoreline was was horrific for, for Manchester United. If, that's, if United can recover from that, and in some ways... 
is it a bad thing to get a shock? You know, that, whoa, your world's imploded. Does that mean that the club have to jump into signing players? We, again, we've had that before. We had it in 2014 after that Swansea defeat to the point that when the transfer window had ended, it was like, right, the season starts properly now. But it's like the club are not learning from from past mistakes. There's a lot of frustration among fans. That will ease today. I think people were optimistic before the Brighton game and then if you lose your opening game and you see Manchester City and Haaland scoring, it just de- depresses you further. Um, people want... I don't think anyone expects to win the league this year, but they want to see evidence of a brighter future. And I don't think we saw any of that. I think the, the positives were so few against Brighton. Maybe what Laurie said, that the first 10, 15 minutes. But even by half-time, I think Brighton had had 12 chances and United only had had two. You mentioned an interview with Fred, Andy. We are going to play a clip, but you asked questions in Spanish and he answered in Portuguese. So, you know, I wouldn't have known what he was saying for a start and I'm not sure many of our listeners would either. Fortunately, the article is in English and it's up on The Athletic at the minute if anyone hadn't seen it over the weekend. But he said, uh, Fred, in the interview about United um, developing and being in transition and so on. But you also get the sense that that Fred is going to be one of those players who needs to develop and transition because, I don't know, it, it almost feels like we've not really seen what he can do yet. There seems to be another layer to Fred that needs to be unlocked somehow. And I don't know whether that's his problem, the system's problem, the manager's problem in the past, but it just seems like there should be something more here, really. Fred wouldn't have started in that position if, if Frankie de Jong would have joined Manchester United. Now, it's good that he is he is versatile. He is in a good place. He didn't have a bad season last year. I'm saying all this now from a position of weakness because he had a bad a bad game along with lots of others against Brighton. Yeah. He's established himself in Brazil's first team. We've seen enough of him to know that you know he's in a decent place, but he's got to cut out the mistakes as well. I think that he will feature prominently uh, this season, but it will be he was more effective last year. He said when when Ralphie which is Rangnick. I love it how Brazilians, right, they anglicise so many words just by putting a Y on the end. So, like, Facebook becomes Facebooky. Is that true? Yeah, it's totally true. I have arguments, well, not arguments, I have discussions with my better half all the time about this. They just add a Y onto English words. I'll, I'll get you some solid examples before the next podcast. Hotty doggy, hotty doggy. And, um, <laughs> and I'm sure that people in Brazil listen to this, but trust me, I will die on this hill. Brazilians, if they don't speak English, they just add a Y on the end of it. Sorry, where were we? Fred, yeah. He didn't have a good game, but he's a decent player. Well, if you want to read more about Andy's revelations on Fred, not including Facey Bucky or Hotty Doggy, uh, but there will be other interesting things in there, I'm sure. You can read that on The Athletic now, of course. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe now for £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and sign up now to get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast as well. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, that's the match out of the way. Let's get into the good stuff. It's time for this. I got my mindset on you. I got my mindset on you. My goodness me. Um, Andy, when we said about doing a Frankie de Jong section in each podcast, it was like a bit of a joke really initially, but there seems to be so many developments week on week, and now we're hoping that we're bringing you information multiple times a week with there being two podcasts on Frankie de Jong. Um Quite a development on The Athletic from David Ornstein reporting that Barcelona want to annul, or so so the story goes, his existing contract and return him to the deal that he agreed when he initially signed for the club from Ajax because, allegedly, uh, the terms given to him by the club's previous board involved criminality and provide grounds for legal action against those involved. That's what David Ornstein's written. This is quite a development, isn't it? Barcelona are putting pressure on Frankie de Jong to leave the club and it will come from the story which David Ornstein broke and read that story there's very good detail in that and it will come from a, a sporting side as well I have been told not to be stunned if Frankie de Jong is not starting in Barca's first home game of the season on Saturday against Rayo Vallecano I've been told that uh, Xavi Hernandez prefers Sergio Busquets Pedri and Gavi, who he started on Sunday night. I was at the game. I watched him very closely. I was told that Kessie, who's coming from AC Milan, has done really well in pre-season. Frankie had only played 45 minutes as a midfielder. He'd been playing as a central defender. It's all pretty tight, this on Frankie Dijon, because he's actually done nothing wrong. But, but, but well, There was a lot of warmth when he scored against Pumas as well, wasn't there? From the fans, certainly. He played well when he came on. He played really well. I'm watching him thinking, just come to Old Trafford, son. This is exactly what we need. He's just blitzed away from Danny Alves, who couldn't even get close enough to pull him back. And he scored a good goal. Before the game was quite interesting, Javi Hernandez spoke to the crowd, 83,000. And all the players were stood behind him, sort of limbering up, smiling, arms down. Except Frankie was stood with his arms crossed and his serious expression and his cheeks puffed out. He smiled when he scored. He did salute the crowd. The crowd did sing his name, not to the extent of um, Robert Lewandowski's name. And I think that most Barca fans asked him yes or no, should we sell Frankie? They would say yes, with reluctance, because they need the money. Frankie de Jong has done absolutely nothing wrong. Let's see what happens with Frankie at the weekend. Barca are trying to push him out. Make no mistake about this. They want money for that player. United have been in Barcelona several times. I'm amazed how many, how little that United have been spotted in Barcelona because it hasn't just been the once. And Barca told me United have behaved. Their conduct has been absolutely fine. So where does Frankie want to go? Well, Chelsea or United, they're the two offers, two suitors. I shouldn't say offers because Chelsea have not made any offer for Frankie de Jong. He's told at least two people that he would prefer Chelsea over United. United wouldn't be in this if they didn't think they'd have a chance. I'm actually more optimistic of him joining United than I was a week ago. Wow. I really am. I didn't expect you to say that. 51%, 49% now, Andy. I I just think, (laughs) Laurie, right, they're going to push him out. He doesn't want to leave. You know, he's he's even bought a new house. He's really happy, but he's going to be pushed out. 
But I mean, Andy, does this not, is this the right thing for a signing to come in in this manner? It's not perfect. One thing I've said right from the start is this isn't Di Maria. If, if I've never heard one thing about him being unprofessional, right? He speaks English. If he went to Manchester, I am convinced he would be the perfect pro, just as he's been at every club. Yeah, he might have the bee in his bonnet for a while, but once his missus has been to the Trafford Centre, sees that it's cheaper than the equivalents in Barcelona. She'll, she'll be sweet with it. Zara's not. There's a lot of controversy around that, to yeah. be fair. <laughs> look, look at you stroking the side of your hair as you say this, like you're making a really good point. But at least you've got hair to stroke, unlike Laurie, who shaved his all, all off before going on Sky Sports <laughs> at the weekend. Sorry, Frankie de Jong, where were we? Look, it's not ideal, but Manchester United's not ideal, is it? United finished sixth last season. United are not the catch they once were. I'm sorry. We've got to get in the real world. People often say to me, how the mighty have fallen. I'm like, well, they have. We have fallen, completely fallen. United can pay top wages. He will be central to hopefully a recovering and emerging side under a manager who he he has worked with before. I'm told they're not particularly close, but he's worked with before with some success. So... A lot would need to happen, but I'm not saying it's ideal at all. Barca and Chelsea's relationship is very interesting and is is fractious because Rafinha was going to go from Leeds to Chelsea but went to Barcelona. Um, Cesar Azpilicueta was going to go to Barcelona, stayed at Chelsea. There's another one who I've missed. Marcus Alonso. Marcus Alonso has given his word. Jules Koundé. Yeah, Jules Koundé was going to Chelsea... I did Andalusia in radio about this, the main broadcaster there. It was all a done deal, and then he didn't go. So uh, Chelsea and Barca is uh, fractious at the moment. That's where United could just nip in. We've played it. We've been really nice. Here's the money. We've taken you out for lunch. We've even bought your desserts. And um, just someone, some. it was put to me, someone has got to get in front of Frankie de Jong and convince him to join Manchester United. Sounds like a job for the podcast, doesn't it? Sounds like a job for the podcast. Eric Ten Hag's got to do that. You know, we can we can joke about it, but Eric Ten Hag has got to get in front of the player to convince him to come. But when does that happen then? Because obviously, you know, usually the, the kind of official way of doing things is you wait until the deal's been agreed between the two clubs, and then you start personal negotiations. Then you can start kind of you know giving it the big clearly. In reality, you have to find out first, don't you? You have to have those communications. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Eric Tanag has kind of done his research in that regard. But I accept that then there's another step, isn't there, where it's kind of a more uh, extensive conversation. But now that they actually agreed a deal with Barcelona, is that not, you know, fair game to kind of have a, a proper chat with him? Or is it up to Frankie de Jong to go, OK, actually, I'm, I'm holding off. I'm not going to kind of have a conversation with you just yet because I'm not ready to take that step it's a very good point Laurie but as someone from Barca said to me uh, on Friday everybody talks in football and always has done they talk more than now I mean when Manchester United have signed players do you not think those players were sounded out first well, yeah exactly. I mean it's tapping up call, call it call it tapping up but I've done so many interviews market over the research years. <laughs> market research I've done so many interviews over the years where the player has come back to me and went, just um, you better not say that about so and so ringing me because strictly strictly speaking they were contracted to another club. It goes on all the time, all the time, and and Barca do it more than any others. How do you think um, Barcelona signed the players who they signed this summer? Do you think they just guessed that Rafinha might actually pull out of going to Chelsea? Well, it probably helped that his agent actually worked for the club in that on that particular one, didn't it? I mean that that is as 
as bizarre as it gets, really. I'm just trying to get my head around how that's actually allowed. There's other reasons. Clubs need to know the background story. I was told of one player um, who wants to move uh, back to Spain because his, his father's not very well. You know, there's legitimate reasons why a human might want to move from one country um, to another. And, and with Frankie de Jong, he was waiting for the Metrolink to be completed to the Trafford Centre. It's all been done now. Get your head together <laughs> and just make the move, son. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, if Frankie de Jong's developments weren't enough in the last 24 hours, Laurie, my goodness me, Marco Arnautovic has even made the headline of your take on yesterday on The Athletic at the minute as well. Uh, What? (laughs) I mean, there's a line in my piece where I talk about the fact that Man City won the title, signed Erling Haaland, a player that United have been in for at least twice, including before he went to you know, Borussia Dortmund, even before he went to uh, Red Bull Salzburg, I believe. Um, Liverpool finished second and signed Darwin Nunes. Nunez, I need to get that pronunciation correct. Get a lot of feedback on that, don't we? I know, I know. Uh, Manchester United finished sixth with their worst Premier League campaign in history and are now trying to sign Marko Arnautovic. It feels like a spoof, doesn't it? It feels like satire. Um, and I know that there are, um, you know, you can, you can have reasons for it in terms of, uh, it's low cost. He's, you know, he scored 14 goals in Serie A recently uh, last season. He scored in the Premier League previously. He's got that self belief that Eric Ten Hag was talking about being missing, you know, or, or at least dipping. I suppose once Brighton took the lead uh, yesterday, um, but at the same time, he spent two years in China recently, Shanghai Port, you know, and people that I spoke to yesterday, um, you know, uh, Stoke, for example, say that you know. Yeah, he does have that kind of maverick edge to him, but also it's all about him. So you know, we've, we've got one centre forward where there's that issue at play. You know, do you want to add another one in? Um, this is obviously an Eric Ten Hag idea, I believe, in terms of the fact that he worked with him at FC Twenty. So did Steve McLaren, and United clearly won't sign a player that the manager hasn't signed off on. Which again, we have to sort of stress that is a a good thing. You know, you get clubs where they'll just sign players. And, and sort of launch them on the manager and, and he has to make do or the head coach. But then again, has Eric Ten Hag done this before in his career? Was he signing players at Ajax? You know, I think that's a question to ask. Um, and now all of a sudden he's been tasked with finding players for Manchester United. Um, so that's why I kind of go back to the recruitment setup and say, you know, is this really the best thing to be doing in this situation? It just feels unedifying, doesn't it? Um, and, you know, I, I kind of... You, you are you kind of just are what aren't you? That, that, that that's the question mark really at the end of it. I, I'm intrigued to know what the the list was really. I suppose is is a way of putting it because we were talked about the fact that United had been looking for a centre forward. Andy, you made a few references to this on the last podcast when when Laurie was talking about Sesco. Um, who else was on the list if Arnautovic is the one that they're going after? Seemingly when I was making that. Uh, references last week Arnautovic was the person who I had, I had in mind 
I was told about it. I was asked not to write it, so I didn't. I didn't want to betray the trust of the person who told me, for, for better or for worse. Um, as a journalist, that can be frustrating because you want to break a story. You can always share it with us on the podcast exclusively, mate. That's fine. There's no issue with that. Yeah, no worries. No, no one will tell wouldn't start anyone. trending among aggregator accounts on Twitter, would it? You know? Nah. We'd just nah. be like cutting off some of your sources. Look, the manager wants to bring him in. Uh, rightly or wrongly, but he, he is the manager of Manchester United. And it was put to me, and I said this on the podcast last week, that there's a feeling that the the forward line is not physical enough. And that's why he would be brought in as an impact player to come off the bench, to get in among it. That was the perspective of the club. Not physical enough as in Strong, not like putting bang, themselves about exactly. enough and sticking elbows Smash in it. people's faces. Bit and of a maverick, right, take okay. that. Yeah. Interesting. That's how it was um, put to me. I know there's um, other sides to him and his personality. I, I don't know the player. It's not something that, that United have just decided on, uh, having lost to Brighton. Um, that it absolutely is true. I know some United fans thought it was a bit of a blag, that this can't be happening. And and some former players have said to me, are you sure this is true? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sure that it is true. The bottom line for me is I think you've got to back the manager. We can have doubts about some of his signings. We're all entitled to form our opinions. Laurie made a really good point about recruitment and also Sesco. You know, Sesco was recommended by Manchester United's recruitment over a year ago. And I could give you a lot more names and I can give you the dates that they were recommended. And, you know, if we ever get Ole Gunnar Solskjaer into this podcast, it would be extremely interesting talking about the players he wanted to bring in. I'm talking about people like Jack Grealish or players who've signed for other Premier League clubs. I know the club can push back and say we're linked with a million players and that's true and a lot of them aren't true. But United's recruitment department have recommended a lot of players who've gone on to be extremely successful. And I hear some of them like uh, Cancelo, for example, at Manchester City. And I know when United were interested in him. And yes, United have spent a lot of money on players, but it just adds to the frustration when the team is is not as good as it should be. With Sesco, I was told that it was even as long ago as 2019 when they've been tracking him, uh, and it was €3 million Euro at the time before he went to Red Bull Group, and United felt that it was not the right price for him at, at that moment. You know, It's difficult to say because you could also point at loads of players that have passed on that have, have gone on to do nothing, I suppose. But it feels like these things kind of keep happening. Um, you look at Moises Caicedo at Brighton, you know, pretty much dominated that midfield uh, yesterday or, or certainly did very well anyway. He was absolutely flying into the challenges <laughs> Well, him and Scott on, McTominay had a little 50-50, didn't like they? like absolute full force. Yeah, yeah. McTominay was actually probably a little fortunate Possibly, to yeah. stay on the pitch at that I think point Kaiseido, get a yellow card. Yeah. But, but Kaiseido was flying in as well, Because he, he jumped in as well, yeah. So I think it was a kind of, he, he kind of got away with it a little bit. But, yeah. I mean, United said no to him. February 2021, he ended up going to Brighton for 4.5 million. So you, you sort of go in, what's happening here? Is it that people aren't confident enough in their own abilities to, to say, this is who we should be going for? Absolutely. Is it because they become too complicated? If they become too complicated for Man United, how can then Brighton do them at deals? You know, if it's agents' fees or you know, kind of difficult uh, relationships, develop them and, and get better with them and get leverage with these people and, and understand before these moves happen what the circumstances around the player are. Do your due diligence on the player so that you don't bring in somebody that isn't actually going to fit with the dynamic of the squad. Um, and I do wonder, with the Ten Hag situation, this is just a question, this, this is kind of me posing it, I suppose, but is there a chance, as I felt like came with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, with Odin Agarlo, for example, 
is there a chance that he's not totally confident on what the recruitment side of proposing? So therefore, he's going right. Who else have I worked with? Who who who, who do I think I can manage in this situation? Marko Anatovic is one. Like easier targets, almost. Basically, yeah. And, and you do you feel that way from a lot of who United sign? It's players that. You know they do spend money. You can't criticise the actual money that they spend, really. Although I suppose this this time when they don't spend money and it, it needed a, an injection, you know it feels like it takes a while for things to get over the line. Even Bruno Fernandes, which was you know a good signing, it took until the end of January, you know, for them to actually complete it. Um, but that actually the proposals, the kind of the, the 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 collaborative effort to get these people and be ahead of the game on it doesn't seem to happen and, and the, the signs that they ultimately make are kind of ones that you know are fairly straightforward if, if they if they've got the money they can just slap a load of money down and it ultimately gets done the Diong thing obviously is very complex and, and complicated and I do have sort of empathy in terms of how they're trying to get that one over the line when clearly he's so integral to what Ten Hag wants um, and so again you do have to listen to him in that regard but should United not have a situation where they have robust conversations with other people at the club and and they're saying well actually no we we think this person's really good and you don't want to have you know deadlock with you know the recruitment side having you know one proposal and the manager having another proposal and, and it gets kind of vetoed in in some regard but equally you do want something coming back from the recruitment department where they're saying actually this is who we think we should go for and the manager going okay I'm, I'm going to listen to you and, and let's go for it hang on Andy do you want to add something then sorry yeah Andy was smirking there wasn't he, for a while yeah. Pizza Hutty. Well, that's another one. I thought he was agreeing with me. He's just been thinking of words with wise on the end of him. No, no, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting intel as we take like Pizza Hutty and Uppy Grady. You know, if you go on a plane and you want a better seat, it's an Uppy Grady. Well, Uppy Grady is what United needs to be doing, right? Well, yeah. For their they signings. Do. Yeah, <laughs> they do. And 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 Laurie, I'm, I'm I'm also nodding in agreement with you. And I said at the start of last year, United need to be better at the dark arts of transfers. I see some sporting directors, they speak five languages. They're very, very good at the job. They're so plugged into what's going on. Maybe Manchester City have got the best one in Chiki Bagiristein. His relationship with Pep Guardiola is so effective. And it's trust and it's built on years of trust and knowing what each other wants. And the end result is a Manchester City get Ruben Diaz and Manchester United get Victor Lindelof. I do have some sympathy for Manchester United because agents try and pull the club's pants down all the time and United are trying to stop this happening. Unfortunately, it's from a position of relative weakness because United are no longer the English champions, no longer the European champions, certainly no longer the the world champions. And it's it's difficult for United. And I've, I've heard of some examples this summer where if... The prices being told to the club were put out to fans, but they'd be like, this is a disgrace. So I do have some hope that there will still be movement in this transfer window, and it might be at the end of the transfer window, but United, relatively speaking, are still very well positioned to buy players, and a lot of clubs are not. I think we make a proper judgment on this on the 1st of September. I just worry that by that point, United will have played Liverpool, will have played Brentford, and... You know, we're still stung from the start to the season. And and it was actually really important to start this season well. United started last season really well. If we don't start this season well and it gets worse, six will seem like, whoa, that was pretty high.
Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm back with some good news. I'll be hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week. I'll be joined by the likes of Adam Crafton, David Ornstein, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Matt Slater, and plenty more of The Athletic's brilliant journalists. And together, we'll bring you the best insight into the biggest football stories. So that's every single week, Monday to Thursday. And if you like what we do, then please follow and subscribe to The Athletic Football Podcast in all the usual places. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. If all this wasn't enough though, we've got another name that we need to add to the pot that's developed since the full-time whistle at Old Trafford yesterday, and that's Adrian Rabio. Here's David Ornstein. Yeah, so we broke the news this morning on The Athletic that Manchester United are working on a deal to sign Adrian Rabio. Now, this is a player who hadn't really been linked with United, but I understand that he is a leading target of theirs for central midfield, and it's not a knee-jerk reaction to the weekend's result. This is something that's been brewing for a while. United have obviously considered a number of midfield targets, whether they're as alternatives, if they don't get Frankie de Jong, or in addition. And Rabiot has risen high up that list, clearly. Of course, they'll need to reach an agreement with Juventus, which I think is not the most difficult part of this because he's only got a year to go on his contract. But they'll also need to agree a deal with the player who, you know, it's fair to say he's had a bit of a complicated background. Um, and if you check out some prior reporting of him, I think his mother serves as his main representative and a big influence in his career. And, and some clubs negotiating for his transfer or contracts in the past have had some difficulties. But yeah, that's something that's concrete. And and what United need to decide now is whether they plough on with this potential signing, irrespective of their ongoing pursuit of Frankie de Jong, which is ongoing, or whether they wait until learning the outcome of the de Jong situation before pulling the trigger on Rabiot or anybody else. I suspect from the sort of noises I've got around this situation that they might look to do this additionally to whatever might happen or not with de Jong. And it's an active one right now, and it's quite fast-moving, which is quite different to De Jong. 
So that was David Ornstein then speaking on the Athletic Football Podcast. Go and have a listen to that if you want to know any more about that situation. But we can certainly add to it, Laurie, can't we? Um, how likely do you think it is that, that Rabiot is going to arrive? And do you think, like David suggests, it's in addition to Frankie de Jong? Is that, is that what you're feeling as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a fast-moving situation, as um, David has, has mentioned. I mean, David, this morning, <laughs> two incredible exclusives, uh, and it wasn't even half 11. Um I mean, there's some reports that a deal has been agreed between um, Juventus and Manchester United on this. Um, I'm told that's a little bit premature. Um, but then again, it's one where it feels like it's moving towards that eventuality. Um, you can't sort of uh, count chickens before they have hatched, I suppose. But, um, you know, it's a, it, it would make sense in a lot of different ways from a United perspective in that he has one year left on his deal with Juventus. So you'd think, OK, he can be uh, achieved. Um, 27 French international I was told last week that the profile of midfielder they wanted was someone who was very comfortable on the ball who had played in Champions League football who, who wouldn't be phased by Manchester United again we're going back to that sort of word of you know confidence and self-belief clearly Adrian Rabiot is someone who has that in abundance there's similar I guess there's similar kind of uh, extra issues around the football um, that you kind of got to consider in terms of at PSG. I think they found him ultimately too difficult to handle. His mother, uh, Veronique, who's I think also his agent, um, you know, they had some issues around just just dealing with him, I suppose. Um, You know, perhaps high maintenance is one of the words. Then again, I've seen um, people at Juventus say that actually he's been fantastic for them since 2019. Um, But then you look at it and think, okay, well, Paul Pogba's just gone there to replace Rabiot or, or certainly to provide competition for him so United are now the dominoes are falling and United go and get Rabiot it, it sort of feels a little bit okay fine you know I can understand where Eric Ten Hag would be coming from because that midfield with, with Scott McTominay and Fred you know I like both of them for different reasons but as a duo we've seen you know for a number of years now that it doesn't work it's not uh, equipped enough to control the ball as Christian Eriksen then did sort of second half later on so someone like Rabiot could certainly add to that situation um, yeah I'd probably need to do a little bit more research on everything to, to know exactly how I feel about it but they're uh, my kind of initial instincts The one good thing about it Andy he's been in trouble in the past for enjoying Manchester United beating PSG so th- there's a little bit of heritage there with Rabiot maybe I thought he was excellent when he played for PSG against Manchester United and there's a good story which David Ornstein uh, broke about him and I'd looked at past stories that I've written about Rabiot I was told last year PSG looked at um, signing Juan Mata and decided against it because he didn't follow the ball once he'd, he, he they said he was brilliant on the flick and the turn but he didn't follow the ball afterwards like Rabiot, who was their best player for doing that. But just before United played PSG last time, I spoke to people at the club, and one of them said, um, I'm disappointed with Rabiot. He's a Parisian from the academy. Um, It's sad if he leaves PSG. Sad for the fans, for the player. He didn't want to leave, and obviously he did do. Um, But he felt he didn't have the respect or the salary of the other players, despite being an important player, which he undoubtedly was. He lacked a little intensity, but he's a great player, one who didn't help himself by by his actions or maybe his mother's actions. Uh, also, he refused to be a backup call for the World Cup. I see his point of view, um, but I, I don't agree with him. So, outspoken and stands his ground. Uh, wouldn't be the first Manchester United uh, French player to do that. And I, I don't really have um, a, a big issue with that. Paris produces the best footballers in the world and... 
he he is one of them. Manchester United have been linked to most of them, but, but only a few of them have uh, have signed. I think the bottom line here is that Manchester United need to strengthen in the midfield. And when he came with that PSG team twice, he was better than any Manchester United player. And I remember asking why Juan uh, Nemanja Matic wasn't playing in that game. And the point put to me was he just isn't quick enough to counter players like Rabiot coming through the middle. And we talked earlier on in this podcast about United centrally. So maybe Ten Hag, is, that is an area, um, it's clearly an area that, that he's looking at. We spoke a little bit about City before. One thing I'd say about Ten Hag, the biggest clubs in the world really rate him. Some of Manchester United's biggest rivals really, really rate him. Beyond press conference plaudits, which we saw with Ralph Rangnick, you know, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola saying he's the greatest ever, there is a massive respect for Eric Ten Hag. So he's going to need time. He's going to get time. And that's where we're at at the moment. But he needs to strengthen. He wants to strengthen. And as we've seen with this story, United will strengthen. Yeah, and what I was alluding to is that Rabiot was suspended by PSG after liking a video on Instagram that Patrice Evra posted after Rashford had scored the penalty against them in the Champions League. So... <laughs> Interesting, Laurie. Listen, he's obviously got affection for Man United. Get him in. Patrice Evra did mention him in his um, in his autobiography as being one of the world class players who've come out of Paris. Anyway, we need to smile again. I've got some more Brazilian English words for you. Uh, playgroundy, backy uppy. I wonder is skinny fady a thing as well, Laurie? <laughs> <laughs> Don't wind him up because he's gonna. We're giving him too much. Listen, he's gonna pre- come back at me. <laughs> I said you could give it me. I accept. It was pretty sharp from my first pitch side sky appearance and I was gutted. The thing is, right, I actually didn't get it cut for that. Loads of people were saying, oh, a bit of a bit of an aggressive fade, that lot, isn't it? That, you know, get that just for you mean the it, sky cameras. You it had grown to that point. That was, yeah, it was the day before that I got it. It was Thursday. I just got it cut for, you know, just for fun. And uh, it was a new guy and I said, you know, medium skin fade. He's decided to go a bit Scott McTominay on me, a bit, bit jarhead tribute. Um, but uh, yeah, listen, we, we move on. It was fun being pitch side. I tell you what, you get this all the time, don't you, Ian? You, you see the players come out of the tunnel. Do you, you, I feel, it feels like you get a better sense of just sort of what's going on, the kind of pace of, tra- of, of the warm up and and you know kind of how people are, are reacting in the environment. It was it was pretty cool, sort of watching the players come out when Ronaldo came out last and kind of looking up in the stands and, and the fact that you know De Gea was doing a bit of passing the ball out from the back practice, which uh, kind of went, I guess, okay, no mistakes there. But yeah, how do you find it being pitch side? Because it was quite fun for me. Yeah, very interesting for the reasons you've just said. And also, you just get a sense of the mood and the feeling amongst the players. There's an energy to the way that the teams run out to warm up. Mm. One thing we've not talked about, actually, one of the changes that Ten Hag's put in place is switched over the dugouts. Now, speaking to people at the club yesterday, they're looking into it, but no one can say for certain whether United have ever been on this side of the dugout in the matches that they've played at home because they're effectively sat in what's been the away dugout for as long as I can remember, certainly. And that's because Eric Ten Hag wanted to swap them over. I understand it's closer to the Stretford end, it's closer to the tunnel, so they don't have to cross over when they go um, they go down the touchline coming out of the out onto the pitch at the start and, and all that sort of thing as well. But that does mean that our pitch side position now is right next to the Manchester United bench. So again, you get a lot of insight into how that's working, the types of voices that are loudest on the bench and things like that. In the old days... We used to stand right in front of the Manchester United uh, bench and then later on we were right in front of the away dugout. So you literally would get spit on the back of your head if a manager was unhappy with a certain aspect of play. 
Um, but it's fascinating. You, you hear so many things that you just don't get in the rest of the stadium because it's so noisy. Um, you can't really hear it. I thought it was interesting as well yesterday. It was only Ten Hag that came down to the touchline. Uh, there was there was uh, Mitchell van der Gaag around who was giving out orders and Steve McLaren. Eric Ramsey was the other person who came down on the touchline with him. Uh, and that was when set pieces needed to, to be sorted. There was a couple of moments where Luke Shaw wasn't in the right position as the deepest man. That was later then needed to be Christian Eriksen as well. So you do get an insight, Laurie, definitely that you you don't you don't always feel. It's more the feeling of it really and what mm. you hear as opposed to what you see because obviously you can see everything that I can. Yeah, just the little moments, isn't it? The, the little looks perhaps between players and you know you kind of sense how, how they're how they're acting. And also you mentioned the changes that he's done. The fact that he came in very early. He personally was there before 10 o'clock, wasn't he, I think, um, to inspect the pitch and, and the kind of surroundings. Also got the players in 11.30, I think, was it? Earlier than that. Even earlier than that. So Earlier than that. Way before kickoff, right? Yeah. Um, to, to have a meal all together is, 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 the, is the idea. And United had to sort of shuffle around some corporate seats because they don't have the capacity at the moment to, to do that kind of thing. So it's something that they're going to have a look at as the weeks go on. So clearly there's little moments like that, little details that he wants to have the way he wants them. How that then ultimately... Uh, sort of transposes to the pitch and in terms of performances we'll see but you kind of think okay United are at least trying to do what he wants in that regard yeah and insisting injured players are there as well is, is another one obviously on the back of all the controversy around the players leaving early for that Real Vallecano game you know Anthony Martial I think you posted about it Laurie Victor Lindelof um, and, and others were sat in the director's box to watch the mm. game and were in and around the tunnel area yeah. after the match as well. So that's a change too. These are really small things. This is not us saying that Eric Ten Hag's some sort of mastermind for spotting this and changing that, but I hope it gives people an insight into just how many things he's considering and how many things he's looking at to try and change, to try and gain some sort of marginal gain here or there for these little these little factors and these little changes. The other thing that we should mention as well is that Avram Glazer was there in the director's box, um, which is the third time in, in three years, I think, um, something like that. So a rare occasion, opening day, you can see the appeal at the same time as protest group, you know, the 1958 were doing a march from Media City all the way to Old Trafford, I think, closed the megastore by, you know, being a, a disturbance, I suppose. Um, so... Does that kind of stuff permeate his thinking, you know, in terms of what he's looking at on the pitch? Does it have any kind of bearing, the fact that he's actually there in person? Um, you'd perhaps hope so. I was watching him at half-time. The second that half-time whistle went, Manchester United are 2-0 down in the first competitive match under his leadership. It's the first Premier League game. He's got a camera in his face as he walks down the touchline. There's fans in the stands booing. His players are coming off despondent. If there was at any point he doubted how big this job was going to be, then I think at that moment the penny would have dropped, definitely. It's going to be a very interesting season, Andy, isn't it? Even the next few weeks and the next few days, you know, keep keep listening to us on Talk of the Devils. We'll be talking about it all, of course, but it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, isn't it? going to be a long truncated season and to be fair to Ten Hag he's planned for this season in terms of the disruption he wants he wants a bigger squad and he's thinking on beyond the world cup and how his players are going to come back after the world cup has finished and their emotional uh, state and then what also happens off the pitch we there's a share scheme that had been talked about there's a protest when Avrami sat there in the stadium it's very visceral you know it's not this isn't second hand feedback maybe from people who don't want to give you feedback by saying how unpopular you are 
But would any Manchester United fan complain if the Glazers said, look, we're selling up now? I, I don't know of any. They're deeply unpopular with United fans and said many times that takeover should never have been allowed to have happened. And the more results stay bad, the, the more the pressure will continue to increase, the more we're going to talk about protests and fans are frustrated and they've got a right to be frustrated because it's not good enough Manchester United should be near the top no divine right to win anything but should be competing and be a well-run football club and I do feel sorry for a lot of the good people who work at the football club because there are a lot of really good people who work for Manchester United they're, they're big United fans they're really good at, at what they do and they're suffering uh, as well when the team are not are not playing well because of decisions which have been made well above their, their head and their pay grade. Okay, we'll leave it there then. Like I said at the start of the podcast, we are back on Thursday on Talk of the Devils. It's going to be two a week now during the season, back to how we were last season. I hope you enjoyed that. I can't quite believe just how much there was to speak about considering United's full-time whistle went less than 24 hours ago and there's so many new things and so many changing factors. Of course, keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic for all the very latest on transfers and everything else, of course. And remember, if you want to know any more about any of the articles that we spoke about now, you can subscribe for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Andy, thank you very much. Laurie, thank you very much as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.